Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. All right, welcome to City Church. My name is Drake. It's an honor to have you gathering with us today. It is the last week in this like 10-week long series called Witness. You guys pumped about it? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Why not? Like, let's go. Hey, so if you missed a lot of the series coming up, it's all on our YouTube channel and our podcast. Uh, but t- today we're wrapping up this series and moving into our summer series through Philippians. Really excited about that as well. Listen, no matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey today, you are loved, safe, and welcome. We're really grateful that you're here. However, we can help you take some next steps in your spiritual journey. That's our desire. Uh, one of the most common things, one of the most common like positive pieces of feedback that I get from other people uh, or I hear through the trail of stories is that people are constantly experiencing City Church as family. And so over and over again, the space between being a stranger to becoming neighbors and family moves pretty quickly here. Um, Sometimes that's really intimidating for people, so they don't come back. They're like, whoa, that's too much for me. I want to sneak in and sneak out. But for those that are looking for community, this is a place where people often are, are, are finding themselves experiencing a dynamic of family. And so, first of all, that's just really cool because it has very little to do with how a Sunday service looks or the color of the carpet or the, chair, or the pews that you're sitting in, but rather has a lot to do with how you as a church interact with others. So well done. Put your hands together for being a community that is like family. And you already know this, um, but you can't assume that that's always going to be the posture. So that, that doesn't come out of just a natural byproduct, but a rather an intentional disposition um, for God's heart, not only for this community, but for the world around us. And so last week, if you weren't here, you can pick up kind of this part one conversation around spiritual family as we wrap up this series on witness. And we talked about some of the stats of loneliness and how we are addressing that as a community, uh, both, both as a church and in the world around us. Uh, but I, I love that that's one of the dynamics. One of the things that people identify and feel here is the idea of family. While this is not a perfect family by any means, I'm grateful that that's an aim and a goal of ours. And so here at City Church, we live out this call of Jesus, the mission of Jesus on our lives, really through two expressions. We have our weekend gatherings and what we call our city groups. And those are really the two expressions of family here at City Church. And they're very different. They have different purposes and they accomplish different things. Obviously today, what family feels like shoulder to shoulder is very different from what family feels like face to face in a smaller group of six to eight people. And so your ability to be known and to know others, it changes in dynamic. But the way that you can use gifts and worship together and be a part of God's bigger picture in a larger gathering, they have different purposes. And so we're grateful that through weekends and groups, we can gather and begin to flesh out what it means to follow Jesus in community. A few years ago, I had the privilege of speaking at my great-grandfather's funeral. Speaking? Sharing? I I did the funeral. There wasn't a title for it, but they were like, hey, can you do this? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And so my great-grandfather, we just called him granddad. Everybody called him granddad. He was granddad to everyone. But I got to do my, my, my granddad's funeral and I talked to a lot of our family, and you know, you have different experiences depending on what your family dynamics are like. So like a great-grandfather, like I only knew him in a certain category. Like I don't think I ever saw him change. Like he always looked like himself. Like there was never a younger version of granddad, 
There was never a different, it was just granddad in his chair smashing pecans and like all the things that he did. It was really cool. And so I got to do granddad's funeral. And one of the things that's a privilege of kind of reflecting on someone's life is you ask other people how they experienced this individual as you really celebrate a life well lived, specifically when there's hope around Jesus and life after death. And so over and over again, the conversations that I heard both from immediate family, friends, relatives around uh, how they experienced my granddad is that they were constantly experiencing my granny and my granddad as family. Even if you weren't family, that's, that was the experience that you had. In fact, my dad, who was marrying my mom and marrying into the family before they were married, his first experience was like, they made me feel like family even when I wasn't. I was like, man, that's really cool. So this is the passage that I shared at his funeral, and it's also the passage I'm sharing with you today. So there you go. That was my intro story. Mark chapter 3. So Jesus is uh, in a room with a bunch of his disciples. There's so many people. They're also outside. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And it's really funny because his actual mothers and brothers is in this scenario, they think Jesus is crazy. They think he's losing it. They're there to get him and to pull him away from this, maybe to submit him to a mental hospital because he's saying things like he's God. So this is not a loving family reunion, but they show up, they're calling to him, and a crowd was sitting around him. That's the posture of a rabbi with his disciples, his apprentices in this room, as well as a bunch of other people. And he says, hey, your brothers and, and, and your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And then Jesus responds, who are my mother and my brothers? That's like not a trick question. Everybody knows the answer to that. You're like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> like, you, you know your mother and your brothers. But then Jesus says something that would have shocked those in the room that maybe falls kind of loosely on our ears. He, he looks about at those who sat around him, which again, in that posture, Jesus is, is rabbi Jesus in this moment. And his apprentices are around him, those who are choosing to follow him. He looks about at them and he says, here, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And this would have floored everyone around, especially his family, but also everyone in that circle. For Jesus, his community, his spiritual family, those who he was calling to apprentice under him, to follow him, they were his family. If God is father, then for them, they are brothers and sisters. And the most common metaphor, listen, I don't know your exposure to the church and Jesus and all of this stuff, but the most common metaphor, the dominant metaphor we see in the New Testament is this idea of, of spiritual family, of following Jesus within the, within the context of family. The word in the Greek is adelphoi, brothers and sisters. It's used over 340 times in the New Testament. It is the dominant picture that we see both from Jesus and New Testament authors about how he talks about the church. And listen, I don't know, when you hear the word church, what do you think of? Do you think of a building? Do you think of a service? Do you think of some song? Do you have bad experiences connected to that? Do you have people that disappointed you, people that have hurt you, people that have let you down, religion shoved down your throat, right? What is it for you? And for Jesus, when he talks about the church, he's talking about family. And this word, the reason Jesus uses this word, 
is it's meant to inform how you and I relate to one another as Jesus followers. And here's the beautiful thing. Listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, then you're invited to evaluate not only what it means to follow Jesus, not just to kind of rearrange the mental landscape of your mind around a few beliefs that might or might not have bearing on how you live, but actually to follow Jesus is also an invitation into his family. And so he uses this language, Adelphoi, in order to inform how we are to relate to one another. Now here's the problem, and you probably know this, is that when Jesus uses that word, there is a natural tendency, maybe just the default in my heart and mind, is to lay our personal experiences down of family and those dynamics on top of Jesus' invitation here. And so then you and I have an idea of family. We have kind of predispositions. Maybe it's good experiences or bad experiences that inform how we respond to Jesus' invitation of family. Right? So for some of you, the idea of family is a very painful idea. Maybe one of the reasons that community is so challenging for you, especially in getting a smaller circle, like a city group, something like that, is because, man, community has been painful for you. You don't have positive experiences when it comes to family dynamics. For some of you, family was absent. You just don't have a clue what healthy family looks like because you didn't have the privilege of experiencing it yourself. Some of you, family was reciprocal, but it was like you scratch my back, I scratch yours, and so it was like a a, a transactional relationship. So it was good because everyone was giving, but then there wasn't sacrificial love, and so it's got a limit on, on how you interact in family, meaning when I'm in a relationship and it's reciprocal, wonderful. But the second I'm giving and you're not, I have a problem with it. And so all of a sudden, we, we have all of these different experiences that we bring to the table when Jesus says, hey, you are to experience life with me in the context of family, and then we just have a paradigm that already exists. And more times than not, we're, giving, we're not giving thought to it. Here, here's the reality, though. Everyone in the room, regardless of your family experiences, whether they were positive or negative, everyone has some dysfunctional parts of family experience, Right? Like every single person in the room has some dysfunction. Even if you come from a great family, there is dysfunction by default in the way that we relate to one another. And so here's, I think, one of the challenges that I just want to invite you to consider for yourself is that you and I then approach the ideas of family depending on our wounds, depending on our background, depending on our experiences. We, We create an ideal of community. And specifically, when it comes to the church, especially if you're looking for community, you're wrestling with some of the things like loneliness we talked about, or you're trying to find, find healing from things, you come to community with a set of expectations, an ideal in your mind that you want the church or you want community, you want those around you, even if it's just a friend group, if you're not, you're not, not sure where you li- relate with church, but you're like, man, you come to other spaces of community or family with an ideal version of what you're looking for. And the problem is, probably many times at this point in your life, People have not measured up to your ideal. And every time that happens, you and I have a choice. The most common response to people not measuring up to the ideal is to break relationship. The most common response in the American individualistic society that you and I have is the second that I'm not experiencing the ideal version of community that I have created and that I need, in my own personal opinion, the easiest option is to walk away and go find it somewhere else because it exists, it's just not with you. And this is the tendency in the Western individualistic culture that you live in. And so you probably have had people walk out of your life for that very same reason. And it's terribly painful. And in the same way, you struggle deeply to have healthy community because of maybe the ideals that you're not paying attention to. And myself included, this is incredibly hard because a lot of it is under the surface. 
And so we'll talk a little bit about that today, but I want you to understand, I'm just kind of putting our personal Western United States, American, individualistic understanding of family up against Jesus. Because Jesus was in a culture where family was everything. And maybe not like family like you and I experience it, but like kind of a strong ties culture. Meaning people understood for Jesus to say family, this was deep commitment and life together. So let me just give you a few examples of what everyone in the room would have understood that maybe you and I missed. When Jesus calls everyone in the room family, they would have assumed, and in fact we see the immediate byproduct, we see the New Testament authors instructing us in this way of family, but we also see them live this out post-Jesus' resurrection. So one of the defaults in Jesus' community is if you're my family, that means the community around me takes priority over my individual needs. Just, just imagine, like, sit where you are when you think of community and your friend groups compared to how Jesus and his audience would have thought about this concept. So the community has a, a greater priority over my individual needs. We have a shared identity together. We make decisions together. There's no individual, hey, mom and dad, peace out, I'm moving across the country. Right? There's like collective, we make decisions together, we do life together, we call out the identity and the purpose and the calling and the destiny we see that God has put on one another's lives. We call out that individually from one, one another. We hold each other accountable. There's correction, there's encouragement, there, this is not who you are, this is not in line with who you're called to be. We help one another, we serve one another, we sacrificially give for one another, we bear life with one another, meaning kind of put up with each other for a time, like over and over again. And so over and over again, you, if you look at the New Testament scriptures and the way they did life together, this is the picture that we see of followers of Jesus living in community. And that is just very uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I don't know about you guys, but, but I, I don't know if your heart leans into that or is like, wow, I'm not signing up for that. Like, I'd rather just come to church on the weekend, hear a message that maybe is helpful for me, sing some good songs, make some good friends, and then follow Jesus on my own terms. And that's no judgment in that space, but that comes from an individualistic space in our hearts as Western followers of Jesus. So today, all I want to talk about is Jesus' vision for his church. Jesus' vision for his church. Because this is not his church. Or this is not my church. It's not your church in one sense. It's Jesus' church. And so you and I should not be, okay, how do I get the church to fit my, my ideals? But rather, what is Jesus' agenda and goal for community? If he's good, if he's God, then we can assume that his agenda and that his vision for his church is going to be a good thing for us, even if we maybe don't agree on the front end. And here's what I want you to get today. If you don't get anything else, Jesus' vision for his church is family. It's family. That's it. And all that he would define family as, this incredibly life-giving space where we are formed, where we are known, where we are loved, and where we carry out mission in the world around us together. So, so church for Jesus is not a building. It's not an event on a weekend or even a Tuesday night, but it is family. And for Jesus to refer to God as Father, which he does often, it also assumes one of the primary pieces of language that we see uh, in the New Testament, is that as followers of Jesus, when we choose, choose to trust in him, we are adopted into the family of God. We, we have uh, some staff members on our team here who adopted two beautiful girls into their family. Through the foster care process, they, they were then adopted. And so Abigail and Addison became Hesslers the moment that the gavel came down in that courtroom. 
and they, they became completely a part of the Hessler family. Their identity completely changed. They now had a father and a mother, and they also had siblings. And so for Jesus, when he talks about family, you are invited to trust in him and experience God as your father, which is incredible, but also to experience one another as brother and sister, i.e. siblings. And one of the challenges is you don't always pick your family. <laughs> and so the beautiful thing about you choosing to follow Jesus is you also get me. You're welcome. Aren't you, aren't you so blessed? Like, that, and so that's one of the challenges is like we love the idea of picking our friends and our, our friend groups, but family you don't always choose. And so this is where we learn. This is where we grow. This is where we become more like Jesus. So my kids, for example, Grayson and Asher, they, they, they have a single, you know, I, I'm their dad. Daniela is their mother. But they don't get to say, hey, I just want a relationship with dad, but I don't really care about brother. That's not an option in our family. And the same is true for followers of Jesus. There is no following of Jesus separate from family. Family is non-optional in the way of Jesus. You guys tracking with me? Okay, so if this is a family that's going to continue to live on mission, which is what the whole series that we've been in has been about, so you can go back and kind of check that out. What does it mean to be a witness in the world around us of Jesus' goodness and love? But we have to learn to live as family because dysfunctional family kind of implodes on itself, right? And so uh, uh, to kind of give us a healthy perspective, I love this kind of, I, I took it as a warning. You can take it however you want. But uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, incredible guy wrote this book called Life Together. He said it this way. He said, he who loves his dream of community more than the Christian's community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. And when I read that line when I was reading through his book, and he's got an incredible story about building community in the middle of the Nazi regime and all of that stuff, but this space right here really called out of me maybe exposures to my dreams, just my ideal. Man, if I, if I let my dream of community, the ideal version of community, win out over actual community, and again, if, if, if that's too, like, ethereal for you, if I let the idea of, of community be different from the person sitting in front of me, then I, I might unintentionally, and I think that's key, destroy what Jesus is actually up to. So we just have to call, we just have to be vulnerable a little bit and say, hey, what are maybe some of the things going on on the inside that maybe I haven't given thought to? And so here's the invitation today. Rather than letting idealism or our pain lead to how we interpret community, let's just take a look at Jesus and the early church and how he did community, and then let's see if we can align our lives into that space. That there is a way of doing family, a way of doing community that leads to life and formation, and that way we can trust it from Jesus. And so let's, let's take a look at kind of that first expression of, of Jesus and community post-resurrection. We see the early church just figuring out life together. That's where we're going to be the rest of the time today. But first, I've got to give you some resources because I'm only giving you two weeks of community here, to, like in the last bit of this series. And so a couple of resources to help you because I want you to press into learning what it means to be spiritual family. But you really got to listen to the Spirit, what's going on inside of you, your own bandwidth, and then grow into that space. So a couple of healthy helpful resources. Number one, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. This book is formational when it comes to healthy community. Um, it's, it's one of the books, when you go through our growth track process and you go through part one and part two, you become a team member here at City Church. This is one of the first books we put in your hands. Welcome to the family. Please read this as in, hey, you're dysfunctional. 
help us out, right? Like, so are we, but if you know you are and you know we are, we're going to do a lot better together, right? And so this is like round one of welcome to the healing process. We're all bringing in stuff that we can be aware of. Number two, The Relational Soul by Plass and Cofield. This one is so good, and um, there's a lot of depth here. It speaks to a lot of attachment theory and all kinds of stuff going on internally about how you experience life growing up in family and then how that relates to how you experience people today. It is massively beautiful and helpful. Highly recommend. Uh, Number three, Life Together by Bonhoeffer. I just quoted from that book. It's a short little book, but it's wonderful, and it's really cool to think through how they lived out community in the middle of um, World War II, and uh, we we spoke, we speak, wow, I can't speak today. We have talked a lot about that space a couple of weeks ago, so I'll leave it there. And lastly, we did a series last year called Followers, and it's kind of a foundational vision series for our church. And in weeks seven, eight, and nine, we spoke specifically to this idea of community. And so if you weren't around, does anybody remember the hula hoop analogy? Anybody remember that? I had a hula hoop. Yeah, Danielle, because she was here. She has to be here. And, and William, well done. Uh, it's a joke. It's okay. Hey, there's about 150 people that call City Church home. And so what, when you look around the room on any given Sunday, what you're going to find is about a quarter of our family gathering, okay? And so our family travels a lot, and it's okay. We play in the mountains, and we do family together. That's why we have city groups to keep you grounded. Um, but you can go back either YouTube or podcast and catch those three weeks on family. I highly recommend you go back because it didn't just deal with the ideal of community, but it also talked about conflict, and how you navigate conflict, and how to get through the cycle of disillusionment, which is when all of the nice and shiny rubs off about community, and you're like, oh wow, these people are jacked up like I am, and then you figure out, like, am I going to stick around or not? That space is in those three weeks, and so I highly recommend you go, and and any of those are helpful for you. Um, They're not necessarily in priority, but again, to equip you in the space of growing, if you want to contribute to healthy family, then, then you and I can grow ourselves in that space. Now, you guys ready to go to Acts 2? Like you have a choice. Let's go. Acts chapter 2. Here we go. This is the early church. This is um, right after Jesus' resurrection. So check it out. They, they just saw Jesus alive from the dead. He, he's given the commission to go and make disciples, other apprentices, followers of Jesus of all nations. I'm with you always is the promise. And then Acts 1.8, same thing. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And so there's this scope of witness that you have a mission to fulfill together. And then this is how they begin to flesh out community real time. This is how they choose to obey Jesus in spiritual family and community. So check it out. This is right after 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus. Okay, so they went from 120 people praying and hiding in a room together to to empowered by the Holy Spirit. And now 3,000 people become followers of Jesus. So this family just exploded, okay? All brand new followers of Jesus. They have not read Emotionally Healthy Spirituality yet, okay? So there's a lot of dysfunction. There's a lot of learning. There's a lot of growing. And then boom, they are in community. That's a lot of people and a lot of mess. Last week we talked about the messy middle. There's a lot of messy middle in this community. And here's what happens. Verse 42, we get the picture of how they're living out family. The first thing, they, are de- they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So I'm just going to kind of walk through these verses with you and then give you some summary statements at the end. So we talked about it last week, but there's commitment. That there is no community, there's no family without commitment. And you, you know that, right? There's no depth, there's no relationship without consistency and commitment. And so they were devoting themselves to, 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 to a couple of things, but on the front end, it's the apostles' teaching, which is really interesting because 
fast forward, what that's going to be for you and I is, is the scriptures as authority. So you and I, this is important, especially if you're not a follower of Jesus, but Jesus trusted in the scriptures as an act of trust in God. So we don't trust in Jesus because we trust the Bible. We trust the Bible because we trust Jesus. That's a really important space that you and I approach the scriptures in. But when it comes to following Jesus, if it's just how we feel about it, it's going to be all over the place. So there's got to be a grounding point. And so they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, which Jesus assumes not only his words were authoritative, but then those he empowered, those apostles, would also have authoritative words to say and to write. And so you and I have today... The Bible, you know, this library of writings that you and I have functions as authority for us that we allow ourselves to sit under. So they're devoted to the teaching of the scriptures and to fellowship. That's the word we used last week, the word koinonia. This is like participating and sharing deep life together. And they also, it goes on, says that they were, were committed to, devoted to breaking bread together and to prayers. And, and breaking bread, this is a reference to communion, which we'll do at the end of our service. But for them, it was more in the context of a meal. So for you and I, we'll worship together. You go to the table, you kind of reflect on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's great. But for them, they were doing that in the context of a table. How, how many of you have had deeply helpful, life-giving, family-building relationships built around a table? Right? There's something about a meal, right? Like, especially a good meal, right? Like, a good meal with friends or even strangers where they begin to become neighbors and family. There's something about a meal that is powerful. And this was a central, the table was central to community for the early church. And so not only would they share a meal, but then they would break bread and remember Jesus' sacrifice because that was the call in how they were to love one another. So this is very central to the practice of, of following Jesus. And they're praying together. And all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So the Holy Spirit's doing amazing things. And he goes on in verse 40, 44. And all who believed were together and they had all things in common. This is where we get the value here at City Church. When you go through our growth track, we talk about it. It's called consistent transparency. All things in common. So this participation in life with a bunch of dysfunctional people that are trying to learn how to follow Jesus, it's messy. It's broken. People are constantly dropping the ball. They're trying to learn the difference of how to relate. They're dealing with conflict. And so our value here of consistent transparency in community means that we choose to be honest with our motives and our feelings because we're going to drop the ball, because everyone in the room is not going to always measure up. We have to choose constantly to be open with our motives and our feelings when it comes to processing family and community. They had all things in common, not because it was all rainbows and butterflies, not because no one ever got in a fight, not because no one ever said something stupid, not because no one brought up politics around the meal table, right? Not, not, not because someone's parenting style was different, not because someone chewed with their mouth full, not because someone was always late to the gathering. It's the space of them choosing over and over again to bear with one another and to have consistent transparency. But it doesn't stop there. It says that they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the pro proceeds to all as any had need. This is where the value of radical generosity comes from here at City Church. We say it every week, that you don't just give to a church, you give through a church. By the way, we didn't celebrate it this morning, but we should have. This last week, we got to deliver over 120-something bags to the faculty and staff of two local schools because of your radical generosity. Put your hands together for that. It's so cool. We've had so much positive feedback to bless our faculty and staff, the teachers in the area. And so we get to be a radically generous church, both in the city, but also individually. 
with one another inside of our city groups. And so they were radically generous, but they were sharing both their life and their resources together, literally to where there was no need, we see when you fast forward to Acts 4 and 5. He goes on. And it says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, there it is again, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Every day. We only ask you to be here once a week, guys. Every day, they're gathering together. That's a lot. You're like, man, I love these people, but not that much, right? I'm with you, okay? So let's just, we're, we're good. We're good, okay? I, I dig what we're doing right now. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So again, 30 Let's just assume 3,120 people in community in this early church, okay? And they're all gathering in the temple. That's a lot of people in a gathering. And then are 3,000 people in one home? Probably not, right? There's this expression. They're breaking up into as many homes as they can possibly find to do life together. And so here at City Church, we call it weekends in groups. It's large gatherings and small gatherings. Literally, the paradigm that we have as a church, how we gather, is built on what we see in the rhythms of the New Testament as they lived out life as the early church. And so large groups and small groups gathering together, worshiping, using our gifts to serve one another. How many of you guys had a good cup of coffee this morning? Anybody had a good? Yeah, let's go. Put, put your hands together for our cafe team. They crushed that. How many of you guys have kids that are not bothering you right now? Let's go. Put your hands together for our City Kids team. Let's go. That's them. How many of you guys were greeted outside and blinded by the sunlight to some dance and vibes? Let's go. That's our, that's our First Impressions team. Well done. How many of you guys enjoy, enjoyed the worship and, and the music and the sound and the lights and the project? How all that? Any, anybody? It was good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way to go to our production and our worship team, right? In every space, we come and we use our gifts together to serve one another. How many of you guys have just been greeted like someone said something encouraging to you this morning? Just, just got to see a smiling face. Anybody? Let's go, right? That's using your personality and your gifts to serve one another. And so they gather in large gatherings to see what God is up to, to be used by God to encourage and build up the church, but then they also are in smaller gatherings around the table, living life together, sharing a meal, and that's where they're becoming vulnerable. It's where they're leading with accountability and love. It's where they're growing together and being, being formed by Jesus. It's where people know all of their stuff. We see the rhythms of large and small gatherings. Relationally invested is what we call it here at City Church. And then um, it goes on. Verse 47, praising God, so while they're living life in community, radically generous, consistently transparent, relationally invested, praising God and having favor with all the people. That, that's speaking to favor in the city around them. This is people who are not yet a part of the family of God. The city around them is experiencing them as good news. There's favor with those who are far from God because of how they are living out the space of spiritual family. As you and I catch a vision for family from Jesus, it is a vision counterculture to what we see in the life of the world around us. And this counterculture is screaming a new identity and a new way to be human and a new way to love neighbor, a sacrificial love, a selfless love. And there's favor in the city. And watch what happens. And the Lord added to their number, on top of the 3,120, <laughs> added to their number day by day those who were being saved, those who were being adopted into the family of God, those who were trusting in Jesus, joining the family of God, and being formed into that family. Every day, this family continued to grow. And I, want you, I don't want you to miss this part, because this entire series has been about that last line. 
This is not an accident. This wasn't like, oh yeah, their church is just so amazing that everyone in the community around them was like, wow, I really want that. So I'm going to like, hey, can you tell me about Jesus and how I can follow him? As they were living life in community, there was accountability not only in being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus, but doing what Jesus did. And that accountability specifically was to be obedient in making disciples. And so you can guarantee because they were gathering, there was heavy accountability to share with neighbor, friend, and coworker. The spaces that they live, work, and play were saturated with intentional efforts to share the love of God with the world around them. And as a result, God did what only he could do. And he began to save more and more people, and they got to experience the same amazing grace that those who were following Jesus were sharing. And so all of, I'm just showing you, this is a picture of the early church and community. Are, are, you, are you catching it with me? And so the, the first invitation is very simply for you and I to look at this and say, okay, where does my life line up in, in the rhythms of what we see fleshed out in the early church? And this is just a snapshot. A lot of this gets fleshed out as you get into the scriptures, but the real time is, hey, where do I land in this? And again, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's one calling here. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it's an invitation for you to consider who is Jesus to you? And then where are you in relation to his family? Because your relationship to Jesus directly affects how your involvement in his family. In a good way, it's invitational. And so as you and I look at this text, and hopefully it's helpful to you as you consider what it means to live out family, I want to give you a few observations around family. And th these are just things that over the course of time and a lot of different resources we can pull together as you and I look at the invitation because it can still kind of feel idealistic, right? Like all of that's pretty sweet. Um, but you fast forward, Acts 4, they're kind of doing the same thing. Acts 5, someone's lying, you know, two people die. Like there's all kinds of cool stuff that happens in community as they live life together. And so the dysfunction continues to come about, but they're committed to a rhythm that's breathing life. And so a few observations around, uh, around family. Number one, God as father is reparenting us into his family. He's reparenting us, right? You and I don't show up completely formed and functioning as he is calling us to in the family of God. And so one of the beautiful invitations here is that Jesus not only wants you to be in family, but he wants you to know God as father. There's an intimacy there. And again, depending on your background, depending on your experience with family, depending on how you hear that word, word father, it might not be a good one. It might have some negative connotation. It might be damaging. It might be absent. Or if, if nothing else, even if you had a good dad, it's still incomplete. And so you and I are constantly learning in relationship God as father, and we're allowing him to reparent us into the family of God. And so that's where the, the, the scriptures as authority and that shared authority in community comes under that I am constantly, as Jesus taught us to pray. First of all, when he, when he taught the disciples to pray, he said, our father. So isn't it interesting that he didn't say my father? But even, even in the space of teaching us to pray, he teaches us to think in community. Our father, not my will, but yours. And so it's over and over again, just learning to trust God as father as he, in the language of the New Testament authors like Paul, he said it's putting off our old self and putting on the new self. It's this constant, like, constant wardrobe change of like a new, a new, uh, putting off the old self and putting on something new. And Jesus is making us new in the context of community and in the context that we talked about last week of silence and solitude, of being alone with him. And those two spaces, we are laid bare in the, in the spaces alone with God and in community, especially the smaller group space, we are known, and the real self begins to come out. Number two, 
There's a difference between family and friends. And this is important because I think when we deal with the idealistic space of uh, the Western construct, we just have to manage our expectations here. That, that community, spiritual family specifically, does not have to be your friend group. And that's really hard because you want it to be. And one of the biggest challenges I think people struggle with when it comes to ideas around community is they're looking for people that align with their hobbies and their personality and stage of life, which is a great thing, but you don't have to have what we talked about last week, chemistry in order to have community. It's great when it happens, right? It's awesome when you're like, oh, you like food too? That's wonderful. Oh, you like to take naps too? That's awesome. Like when you have that, it's, it's great, but it's not required for family. And, and this is important because as you and I approach community, we have to sometimes give up the ideals in order to really get all that God has for us out of community. And so just like you didn't pick your biological family, in a lot of ways, as we gather, gather as a church, and if Jesus calls you to call this place home, you're also not picking your family. And one of the calls of family is that you stick it out, right? Like, my, minus it being toxic or there's unhealthy behaviors and attitudes that are damaging, obviously, like, those are dealt with in community as well. But at the same time, you stick it out. You're committed to family. And, and so, um, Trisha's in the room somewhere, uh, one, one of my good friends. She's in my city group. And, and when it comes to family, on the front end, Trisha just joins our group because it's a Monday and that works out with her schedule. <laughs> and Trisha and I could not have anything more in common. Um, I, I mean, there's really like, like our stage of life and our hobbies. Oh, there you are. Hello. Uh, I, she loves that I just called her out, by the way. Um, she's like, please don't see me. Um, and, and, and so as far as, and there's multiple people that, that like, we just don't have anything in common on the front end. But Trisha chooses family, chooses community. And over time, Danielle and I have experienced her over and over again, and hopefully it's reciprocal, as family. That there aren't hobbies that tie us together, although we do love to go and play with the goats on her farm. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a new, my, my kids especially love that. I say we, it's really Danielle and the boys that go, I don't go. But I love to have the eggs from her free-range chickens, and you know what I mean? And so it's really cool that over the course of two semesters or a year of life together, we have come to experience one another as family. That all the things we were talking about earlier, those are real-time experiences every week when we gather in our home. But there's not really an immediate chemistry. If, if, if we would have left it to chemistry, Trisha would have never been in our group. Because there was nothing initially from the outside that would have brought it together. So the point is, I think if you and I are looking for friendship alone, and we don't broaden the space of family, we actually can sabotage the beautiful family that God wants to build through community. And when chemistry happens, it's beautiful. And over time, ironically, I think chemistry naturally begins to happen. But the space of choosing families, opening ourselves up to a broader definition, rather than age, stage of life, and hobbies. Otherwise, I think we cripple ourselves in the space of having life-giving community. And the last thing, family is often the place of our deepest hurt and our deepest healing. And here's the challenge. This is just something really important that we acknowledge over and over again. Family is often the place of our deepest hurt and our deepest healing. So the relational soul, that book I was talking to you about earlier, in that space it talks about attachment theory and how you learn based on how you grew up to relate to one another. And when it comes to healing, when it comes to dealing with some of the damaging parts of your past, whether it was from your parents or from your spheres of, of community, 
the only way that you and I find a rewiring of attachment is by experiencing a version of healthy community. Meaning you and I can't pull back from community with all of our pain and hope it gets better. The only way you, you, you find a path to relating in a healthy way to others, specifically in the way of Jesus, is through active participation in healthy community. And part of me is like, that sucks. <laughs> Because that means I have to open myself up again to the risk of community in order to find healing and formation. And so the cycle of community, we, we, it's in that series that I talked about from last year. But the cycle of community is you show up with the ideal. Hey, you love dogs? I love dogs. You love craft beer? I love craft beer. You love games? I love games. You love cats? Oh, we can't be friends. That's yeah. And, and so you have, you have moments where there's the ideal version of community and there's chemistry wonderful. But family is the idea. But then eventually, with, with just it doesn't really have a long period of time, disillusion is, is going to come. A moment where all the ideals are met with reality. And the messy middle is kind of revealed. And, and you start to feel like, wow, I love these people, but it's Tuesday again? And you just kind of have to choose family again, even though you're exhausted from the week. Or like Danielle and I are hanging out with Jess and Eddie this week, and we're like, wow, we have so many things in common. You guys are going to be great friends. What movies do you like? And they're like, oh, favorite category of movies is horror. And I'm like, oh, guess we can't be friends. Never mind. So disillusionment just crept right in there, and it was ruined. Like we're never going to hang out again. So, so the space of disillusionment is an opportunity to then move either to break relationship or to move into acceptance which is acceptance is not, not, not tolerance in the sense of like, oh yeah, all of your brokenness and dysfunction, I'm just gonna ignore it. But acceptance in the sense of, hey, we're broken people moving toward Jesus together. And so, hey, we'll hang out, we just won't watch horror movies together <laughs> or whatever it is. And obviously there's deeper, deeper paradigms here, but I'm just trying to keep it lighthearted today. And so these are just a few observations for you and I because community is challenging, community is risky, and community is worth it. And Jesus wants to form you and I through community, and Jesus wants to accomplish his mission in the world around us as we live life in and through community. And so let me give you a few updates as we close our time together, just kind of around life here at City Church. In the summer, we're experimenting with a few things. I introduced this concept last week, but spiritual family is what we're going to continue to focus on. And so we're committed to practicing the way of Jesus together in Boulder and groups are how we're going to continue to make disciples that make disciples, to find accountability, to live on mission together, to have encouragement and growth and vulnerability. As I told you last week and moving forward uh, um, in the summer, we're closing all of our existing groups because one of the challenges is up to this point, we've had addition rather than multiplication being the space of family. And so then there's like a family that establishes, you know, a whole semester or a year together and you add a new person and then you're constantly interrupting spiritual family. And so our goal is to start new groups with new people moving forward. And so all of our existing groups are closed. So when you go online, for example, you don't say, hmm, whose home do I like the best? Or who do I have the best chemistry with? You say, here's my preferences of, here's my availability of when to meet. And you sign up for a group. And then we do our very best to put you in a family with other people that line up with those same availabilities an area and time. And so right now we have three new groups starting over the summer. If you're not in a city group, then you're invited to go and sign up online to get into a new community. In addition, if you're already in a city group, we're inviting you to stay in those groups. 
Also, just an important just side note, we are transitioning our city group leaders to facilitators. And so they're, they're changing in our pipeline. This is just a little nuance, but it's important. Prior, you've had city group leaders, the leader in the room. Now you're going to have facilitators. They're not a leader. They're just like you. We're brothers and sisters, okay? So the authority in the room is scripture, and the keynote speaker is the Holy Spirit. That's the goal when we gather as a group. And so if you've been a part of community for a while, you know the flow, you know the process, you know it's about doing what Jesus wants us to do, not just learning more information. But scripture serves as authority, and the Holy Spirit is to be the keynote speaker. And so the facilitator might have the paper, and they're there to help you. But if you have a question, hey, Matthew, what do you think about this? Matthew's our facilitator. Hey, man, that's a great question. What do you guys think? What do the scriptures say about that? that, that that'll be all the facilitator does. And so it'll, it'll take a little time for our church to, to move away from the mentality that there's a leader in the room. But as we live out spiritual family, we are in this together, that everyone's taking ownership of the health of the family gathering in that home. You guys tracking with me? It's an important little piece you'll experience over time. There's also a couple of our groups that are massive. And so a few of them are going to be starting new groups, sending people out to start new groups. And so if you're a part of one of those groups, you'll hear about that, and you'll be invited maybe to go and help start one of those groups as well. But again, if you're already in community, just stay connected. So here's my one invitation for you. If you're already a part of this family, the best way that you can help other people experience uh, City Church as family is number one, on weekends, if you're not already, become a team member, go through growth track, join the team, begin using your gifts, serving others, and then look for people that you don't know and continually invite them into your circle and engage them in conversation and invite them into the life and rhythms of City Church. Use your gifts, use your personality as you gather to serve one another. But if you're also in city groups, a couple of things. What I want you to do is find someone who's not in a city group, and I want you to say, listen, city groups are amazing. You've got to get in a city group. You just can't come to mine, okay? That's the new invitation. And so the posture has been, hey, come to my city group, which is great. Just constantly interrupting spiritual family. And so I want to equip you with the language moving forward. If you find someone, which I hope you do, that's not in community, I want you to talk about how amazing city groups are. And I want you to point them to, hey, you should sign up for a group and allow us to connect them in spiritual family. I know this is going to take some time. It's okay. We're experimenting with this stuff through the summer, but the goal is multiplication over addition. And here's the beautiful thing, is that we're moving toward a space where anyone can facilitate a group. And so one of the postures of, of leaders in the room is leaders are constantly willing to step out so others can step in and up. And so you might find yourself in a place where you're passionate about community and you love what God is doing. And so then you're also passionate about providing it for other people. And if that's you, come talk to me. We'd love to empower you to start community as well. Okay, last thing, next steps. Just a few things for you today. Number one, where do you need to grow in your relationship with Jesus? Is Jesus, is his church, and, and, and to be only in his family while disconnected from him is, is kind of dysfunctional in and of itself. But to be only with Jesus without his family is also a little dysfunctional. And so I just want to invite you today, no matter where you are, where, where do you need to grow? What's on your heart when it comes to your relationship with Jesus? The rhythms of knowing him, spending time with him, hearing his voice, sitting in the scriptures, allowing him to know you. What's that look like for you today? Number two, where do you need to grow 
in your relationship to the church as spiritual family. I don't know what God has highlighted in your heart and mind. There might be some healing. There might be some things you need to work through. There might be some things you need to address in community. And so maybe some of the resources that we recommended might serve you well in that space. It might very simply mean that you just step into community and take a risk in that space. Whatever it is, I just want you to listen to the Holy Spirit this morning. What is God doing in your heart? And what would be your next step in that space? Because Jesus said that, that those who build their, their life on, on the foundation of his words, when we actually listen to his words and put them into practice, those are the people that experience true life. When we hear his words and we do nothing with them, he says our, our life has a hard time standing up against the pressures of the world around us. And so we got to do something. Last thing, join a city group. If you haven't already, you can go online, the forum is live, and you can join a city group. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for everybody in the room. Thank you for my friends and the privilege we have of gathering today. Thank you for everyone that has used their gifts to serve today. Thank you for every, everyone that has simply gathered and their presence and their personality in the room is a contribution and a gift to this family. God, I pray that you give everyone a vision that, that not only are they known, but they are needed in community. They are a gift and they are gifted. And one of the beautiful things about this space is we get to continually call people up and into the identity of what it means to follow you, be in relationship with you and one another. And so God, I don't know the healing that you want to do today. I don't know the calling that you have on each of our hearts and minds in relation to you and community. But right now we want to open up our hearts and minds to you and say, whatever it is that you want me to do today, to hear your words and put them into practice, Jesus, would you give us the willingness and the openness to hear and obey. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, this is just a moment of privacy and reflection. I just want to extend a very simple invitation for my friends in the room. If you find yourself in the room and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know this morning that you are deeply loved, you are deeply known, and you are invited to know the God that knows you, to trust in Jesus that he died for our dysfunction and for our sin. He was buried and rose again to offer forgiveness and freedom and bring us into new life in his family. A new way to be human, a new way to do community, a new identity. And so no matter where you are today, I wanna to invite you very simply to trust in Jesus if you never have. And it looks very simply in your heart and mind, praying even silently, Jesus, I believe that you died for me and rose again so that I can have new life and follow you. And in whatever way you might pray that prayer this morning, I want you to know that heaven rejoices over that decision. And so do we as God's family. And our desire is to meet you where you are and help you take next steps. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus in the room and you've never been baptized. And one of the ways that you identify with Jesus and his family is by publicly being baptized. And we would love to celebrate with you through that and walk you through what that means. So whatever God might be doing in our hearts and minds today, I just want to invite us to respond, okay? So God, thank you for the space. And as we sing these next songs, would you use these moments to bring us closer to you and one another? It's in Jesus' name, amen.